Well, there are some programmes on television that seem quite popular, and one type of programme is programmes that focus on improving your home or changing your home in some kind of way or having some building project. In fact, just Friday night, as we, I was watching the TV, I saw a trailer for a new series of programmes, you may have seen it or heard of it, called, uh, what's it called? Grand Designs, Grand Designs, with this man, Kevin MacLeod. And basically the idea, if you haven't seen the programme, is that there are people who want to build their own house, and usually they're using unusual materials, and there's an unusual sort of design, and when they complete it, they are very grand buildings, usually, the kind of things that most people don't normally live in. But there we are, it's a popular program, Grand Designs. And we're going to be looking this morning just at one verse from this psalm that I read earlier on, Psalm 127, that speaks about building a house, building a house. And later on in the psalm, it speaks about family and children, and there's a sense in which families are a house. I read one writer uh, as I was preparing this message who spoke about children being a building project. If you've got a family, then raising a family is something like a building project. It's a challenge. That psalm speaks a little bit about that, but we're not going to look at that this morning. What does the house mean here when it says in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain? Well, this psalm, the clue is in the fact that this psalm is part of a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. The songs for going up. Going up where? Well, going up to Jerusalem. It seems that these were sung by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem to worship God in his house, in the temple, as we more usually call it. The temple of the Lord, the house of the Lord. So you might say, well, how does that connect with us? We're going to look at verses speaking about building the house. And yes, that was referring to the temple of God in Jerusalem at the time, but there is no temple today. There is no temple even in Jerusalem, just the ruins of the temple. So what can it mean for us? How can this speak to us? Well, the clue comes to us when we turn to the New Testament. And that's why I read earlier on from Ephesians and from chapter 2, because in that passage there, Paul speaks about people of God as being a temple, the temple of the Lord. So every gathering, every congregation of God's people is a little temple, if you like, of the Lord. So it's not so much a building now, so you've got this nice building, but the temple of the Lord now is the Lord's people those who belong to him. And let me just ask at that point, do you belong to the Lord? It's a good thing to come to a gathering of God's people, to hear his word being preached, 
to sing these hymns, to come together in prayer. But these things are meant to help us that we can belong to God himself. It's by belonging to him through Jesus Christ that we are part of that temple. Not through some ceremony that we've gone through, but through faith in Christ. So the temple is God's people. Paul, in another one of his other writings, describes the Christians in Corinth, in another church, as being God's workmanship. God's workmanship. And the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, describes the people of God as a house. So all these terms are describing now the people of God. I thought we'd look at this passage this morning because it's the beginning of a new year in many ways in churches in September. Certainly it's the case in my church where lots of the activities and the ministries of the church are starting again. So I thought it would be an appropriate message to bring about building the Lord's house and what that means for us using these words. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And what do those words say to us? Well, I want to bring three things just from those words, that first verse, three things. Those words, I think, first of all, are words that tell us that we need to be humble in building the Lord's house. We need to be humble. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. In other words, without God's help, what we do will not amount to very much at all. It's saying we need his help. And you may find that in everyday life, if you're doing some, some job, perhaps, if you've got something in the house that you're trying to do, you may realize, I need help on this particular task. Whatever it might be. It might not be a major thing. It might be changing a light bulb or something, or fixing something with a computer, or fixing something uh, with a TV, painting, de dealing with something with a car. And you realize there's somebody else that you really need to help you because without that, you may be wasting your time, messing about, you may do something, and it's not really going to achieve, uh, amount to very much. Sometimes you can buy pieces of furniture, but you have to assemble it yourself. And how easy it is to get the stuff home, not bother too much with the instructions, get so far and to discover that you've missed a crucial part that you need to put in. So you've labored in vain, really. And the result is that you need to start again and you need that help, say from the instruction sheet or somebody else to come and help. So these words tell us, first of all, that we need to be humble because we need God's help if we're going to be building his house 
calling people to Jesus Christ, calling people into the fellowship of the church, and seeking to build them up in their faith. We need God's help. And that note is sounded in a number of places in Scripture. Now, I mentioned that this verse spoke first of all about the temple of the Lord. But the temple of the Lord was destroyed by the Babylonians at one point. And the people had to abandon it and leave it and go to a distant land until they were brought back. And when they were brought back, God said to the people through the prophet Zechariah and another, many of the other prophets for that matter, that he would return. I will return to Jerusalem in mercy and my house will be built in it. So God was saying he was going to be about this work of rebuilding the house. And he had somebody in particular in mind and his name was Zerubbabel. And God had a word for him as well that it would not be by might nor by power but by my spirit. So God was saying, you cannot do this without me. That leads to humility, doesn't it? We need to be humble. And Jesus had much the same to say to his disciples when he was with them. He said, without me, you can do nothing, he said. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, reminded them of that. And uh, he spoke about somebody sowing and somebody watering. But he said, God is the one who gives the growth or the increase and makes this work in the church, succeed. We need him. So, what does that mean for us in practice then? If we're going to be about this work of building the Lord's house, what does being humble mean for us? Well, I think the first, probably the main thing, is that we have to give the task to God in prayer. We have to come to him in prayer. We need to pray for vision. For vision. We need to pray for creativity. It was interesting to hear the various things that are happening in the life of the church this week. Different activities. But don't we always need to pray that God would help us to be creative, to think about how we connect with our community, how we can serve and make the gospel real and relevant and effective to them where we are. So we come to him in dependence and asking him for wisdom and guidance, vision and creativity. And we come 
to pray for God's help, of course. Because we are weak. And there may not be many. The resources might not be what we'd like them to be. But that has never stopped God from being able to use people for his glory to build his house and his kingdom. But we come confessing our weakness and our need. And we come and we pray for his blessing, realizing that we need him to bless and succeed the work, especially by his Holy Spirit. So, in this task then of building the house of the Lord, first of all, it tells us the builders will labor in vain without the Lord. So, it's a word to humble us. It's a word to remind us that we need the Lord and that we need to pray for his help. So, that's the first thing from this verse. The second thing is that these words also motivate us. It's a word to motivate. I'm sure many of you will have heard of William Carey, who is a a famous 18th century missionary to India. And uh, until he began his missionary endeavors, Focus on mission and going out to peoples from other nations wasn't very prominent. It did exist, but he had a particular challenge that was on his heart. And he he made, in the course of a famous sermon, a statement that's often been misquoted, that he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Often is put the other way around, but that's not what he said. And that's important because we've just seen the first thing is that we need the Lord's help and that we need to be humble before him because he is going to build. So because we can expect great things from God, once we've got that focus right, we can attempt great things for God. And though God had said to Zechariah for Zerubbabel, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, he then went on to say to Zerubbabel himself, he will build the temple of the Lord. So yes, he needed to be humble, And the people of God need to be humble. But they needed to be laboring as well. And that's what this verse is telling us. There are builders who are meant to labor, building the house of the Lord. And in that work, it isn't just the work of one person. Let me just give you an example of one situation where that was the case. So Zerubbabel was one builder, and another builder was Nehemiah, 
Now, Nehemiah was concerned really not so much with the temple, but with the building of the walls of the city and the framework. And uh, God raised him up and God called him. And Nehemiah knew that he needed God's help and he prayed for God's help. But he also knew that he needed people to be engaged in the work, not just he himself, but others too. Let me give you some examples of the people who were working with him, alongside him. So in chapter 3 of his, uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, we read this in the first verse. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Now that's a bit unusual because priests and the high priest didn't normally do that kind of work. But they were involved in the work. The high priest and the fellow priests were doing that work. And then later on, in this same chapter, we read about some other people uh, who were engaged in work. So we read that Uziel, son of Harhaya, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Did you notice who was mentioned there? The goldsmiths. Well, you could well imagine them having skills to be able to help in the rebuilding of the wall. But alongside them were also the perfume makers, people that you might not expect to be able to contribute. But they were building as well alongside. And then next, another example, Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. So the women were involved in the work as well. And Paul reminds the Christians in churches to whom he's writing in the New Testament that those who are raised up to lead the people of God in any congregation, the pastors, the elders, and so on, yes, they have an important role. But their role, Paul says, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're part of his house, then you have a part to play as well. Paul is saying, and this psalm that we're looking at this morning is reminding us of the same thing as well. So what does that mean in practice for us? Well, it means perhaps that you might be have a part in building the house of the Lord by teaching a Sunday school class or helping in one of the meetings that are taking place during the week that we heard about earlier on or maybe speaking at a ladies' Bible study maybe or running a course to help people who are wanting to know something about Christian faith or it might mean 
visiting people who are at home and need to be encouraged and helped perhaps to come back to the fellowship or those who are unwell. It might mean committing yourself to praying for particular people. So we have then words to motivate us. Yes, there's a word to humble us. We need the Lord. But there's a word to motivate because now that we can expect great things from God, we can attempt great things for him. But the work isn't always easy. And that is true, we find in scripture, wherever we look. It can be messy. There can be challenges. There can be setbacks. And Nehemiah, I mentioned him earlier, he knew about that. He knew of outright opposition at times. And for that reason, he needed to pray. There can be opposition and struggles and challenges in the work of the kingdom of building the house. And the third thing from this verse that I'd like to bring before us this morning is that the words that we're looking at also are words to liberate us. So what do I mean by that? Well, liberate us in the sense to know that it's not all down to us. Because we're working on behalf of God and working, if you like, as fellow workers with him, that, I think, is something to liberate us. And Jesus, when he spoke about the work of the kingdom uh, in his own day, had a number of parables. And one of his parables, I think, speaks to this situation. He, he said this, A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full kernel in the ear. And the message here is that this man is busy, he is engaged in the work, he sows the seed. So he's, he's working, he's engaged in the work. It's a parable of the kingdom, remember. It's like this psalm, God uses laborers in his field. But this man, having sown the seed, goes to bed and gets up, and the seed sprouts. And that is happening because God is at work. He's not fretting about it. He can rest and entrust himself and entrust the work to God. He doesn't know exactly how it works. I'm reminded of one of the hymns you may sing here. I cannot tell how he will save the nations. I do not know, the hymn writer says. And so it is with this kingdom building. And so it should be 
in us building the house of the Lord. Otherwise, there's a danger that we will burn ourselves out. And in particular, if there's one or a very few people that will become completely stressed in the work. No, we are building the house of the Lord, liberated by the fact that we are not doing so on our own. But God is at work, unseen, in the background, by his Spirit. And we do so with the hope that God will succeed and prosper his work. And they will be able to say, as the psalm, the previous psalm, 126, says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. That should be our hope. That should be our expectation. That should be our prayer. That he will do his work to his glory. So unless the Lord builds the house, we need to be humble. We need him. It's builders, labor, we work. But without him, we labor in vain. But with him, we entrust the work to him and are liberated in doing so.